This Front Row Rugby episode appeared originally on YouTube. Today you are going to get a front row seat to the incredible Springbok career of Andre Pretorius. Andre, welcome to Front Row Rugby. Thank you very much, Peter. Good to be on. It's nice to have you here. Before we begin our conversation, we're going to take a look at the trivia question for this week. In 2016, Alistair Kutsia became Springbok coach. Who did he appoint as his first captain? Now, if you know the answer to the question, you can put it in the comment section down below. We'll also find out if Andre knows the answer to the question, but we'll do that at the end of our conversation. Andre, I would like to begin in 2002. Tell me, what did it feel like when you were making your debut against Wales? It was, it was kind of bittersweet, Peter. Uh, it's just something that I've always wanted. And obviously, every rugby player and small boy, one of their dreams is to become a springbok. But um, my father passed away in the, in the year before that. And luckily, he got to see me become a seven springbok, but he never saw me become a, a springbok in 15s. But uh, nevertheless, it was a really special feeling. And to be able to share that with the people that supported you to get you there was great. From there, we moved on to the Tri-Nations. And even though we lost many of those matches, we actually performed quite well. And actually, I think a lot of people thought that there were a lot of encouraging signs. Um, how far off the pace do you think we were in comparison to the Wallabies and the All Blacks at that stage? It was kind of mixed feelings with, with regards to that. We, our tour didn't go well at, well at all. Uh, it was a new stream of management and uh, the pre-sea or the... The mid-year tours went really well, but as soon as the transition started, you know, we could kind of see that we weren't at the same level. And uh, the tours, the tours we battled, but uh, the home games, we narrowly lost the one in Durban, the Pit Van Sale uh, incident one, and then against Australia in in Johannesburg, where Van Gerwen scored that amazing try and then kicked it, kicked the goal to win the game. So, I think. As always, Jake used to say, uh, why? And that's exactly what happened. Is, uh, everybody was writing us off. And, you know, as always, Springboks with their backs to the wall came out firing. I want to touch on that pit from sale moment. How much of a distraction was that to you guys in that moment? Distraction? Um, I think at that stage, it, it could have been quite essential for us because... We we had uh, we had the ascendancy. We were playing well, and then you know obviously this thing happened. And the other thing is we we weren't been playing good rugby, and then you know it was kind of an embarrassment on the field in terms of you know what we try to showcase. So taking that into to regard afterwards, it um, it wasn't a good picture for South African rugby. Um, I know Pitt is a really really staunch and avid and committed, passionate Springbok supporter. But on the day, I think we could have done without it. And then the following week, as you mentioned, Van Agrieff scored that memorable try and we beat the Wallabies. I think it was the final move of the match, actually. Uh, it might even have hit the 80-minute the mark by the time Van scored that try. Talk to me about the, the happiness uh, of that moment. Yeah, well, again, bittersweet. I withdrew the night before the test. Brent Russell came in at 10. Played a, an amazing game. He scored a phenomenal try that I don't think a lot of players in world rugby would have scored. Came out, I think George Smith was still hanging on to him and he just broke through and scored. But that that final move was was typical Werner Griff. He, he liked to run that negative power line, 
broke through forward tackles and then, uh, you know, scored in his famous dive. So, and and Vanner wasn't known for kicking goals. You know, Vanner was, was known for being tough, making good decisions, being your solid player on the field. And he stepped up with a BMT. He's also an avid golfer. So he, he showed the BMT and then put it over. Unfortunately, after that, we went on a tour to Europe at uh, the end of 2002. And I think it's fair to say that it was a disastrous tour, especially in terms of results. How frustrating was that for you? Very. I think we, we had high hopes. There's a lot of young players that came in. Uh, I was, it was my first year with the Springboks, so I was also young. But the players that came in, like John de Villiers' first tour, you know, you, you wanted to make it special for them, and it was everything but. You know, wearing a Springbok jersey is always special. And I think the, the 53-3 loss against England at the end of that tour just epitomised the, what we were going through at that stage. Talking about that 53-3 defeat to the English, how much of a low point was that for you in terms of your Springbok career? Very. And as luck would have it, um, Kornay Krichel accidentally knocked me out uh, on a tackle on, on Matt Dawson. So... Luckily, I can't remember a big part of that test, but I know, I know what the essence was. Um, I know at one stage, Butch James had to had to uh, step behind Dion Carstens on on our goal line because obviously Janis Lavaskakni got um, got sent off, and uh, there we also realised why why the forwards have got the single figures on their name and the backside at the back because I know at one stage Butch was picking up Dion Carstens' leg. Uh, when Dion was trying to trying to set the scrum for us, so it was a it was a bad day for us, and and what's quite remarkable is that we had a really good week, we had a really good training week, we were really focused, but the English at that stage, they were just on another level. Yeah, they were less than a year away from winning the World Cup. I was actually going to bring up that uh, that punch from Corne on you. So uh, thank you for, for bringing it up first. Um, let's move into 2003. I think you only played two test matches and one of them was actually off the bench in 03. Was was that injury related or was it just a case of Rudolf Strauli preferring uh, Louis Kuhn and uh, Derek Hochart at that stage? A lot of it was injury related and then it was returned to play that was, that was preventing me from coming back every time I got back close to playing again, um, there'd be a recurrence of an injury. So it, it was a lot injury-related. But I also think there was... I don't think they were quite sure of the makeup of the team, so they were experimenting as well. Did you attend Camp Staldrad? I didn't. Uh, I had to do my, my knee, and then the day before the announcement of the Springboks squad for the World Cup, Rudolf called me in and he said he, he wasn't going to select me because the guys were going on a camp and the guys at the camp needed to be able to do everything. So I, I didn't attend. I think we can say that you literally dodged a bullet in that instance. Um, tell me, Andre, what was your overall opinion of Rudolf Strauli as a coach? Rudolf was, uh, was remarkable in, in the sense that he, he had good connections with the players. He, he, was a, he was a player's player when he played and he was a player's coach when he coached, he had a dictatorial sense to him, which I think at some stage, you know, overtook him with people that was on his side. And he, I think he, I think he lent his ears out a bit too much at one stage, and he and he lost and he lost his sense of connection with the players, and that's that's why I think yeah, he got it wrong. 
And then the next time that you played for the Springboks was in 2006. And I think possibly the moment that defines you maybe as a Springbok, certainly in the eyes of the fans, we're in Rustenburg. It's a kick that you're lining up against the All Blacks. You have to put it over in order for us to win. Talk to me about that moment. Yeah, we, the All Blacks were going to beat our record for the most consecutive wins. We've, I think we, the test before that we lost quite badly at Loftus. And again, everybody was was kind of putting this one away as a loss even before we ran onto the field. And like we said earlier, Springboks with their backs to the wall. We had nothing to lose. I have to say, I have to add that. We had nothing to lose. So um, we came out, started really well. And then, you know, with a 15-minute mark, we had a sniff that we think we can win this test. And at the end, there was a rolling mall and Rodney Sorialu came on, on the side, got the penalty and John Smith still picked the, the ball up and walking across to me and said, rather you than me, buddy. And uh, luckily, luckily it went over. How nervous were you in that moment? To be honest, I was too tired to be, to be nervous. And all I, all I could think was that this is what we've been working for and this is a, this could be a game changer for us. So, you know, it's, it's difficult to say you didn't hear the crowd. The crowd on the day was phenomenal. But the nerves, the nerves was definitely there. So how confident were you then at the end of 06 that you might be the starting fly half at the World Cup? I wasn't at all. Uh, I think I, I battled too long with, with, with my hamstring and I was actually thinking that it might be a, it might be a, a reason for me not going because it, it just kept on recurring. And I was very fortunate that my one sponsor, Adidas, flew me over to Germany they got me in touch with uh, one of the best doctors in the world, Dr. Mila Borford, best sports physicians. And he treated my back for five days in a row with injections and manipulation. And that, in the end, made the difference for me to go. And speaking of the World Cup in France in 2007, you started against Tonga. And as it turns out, that match was not the best performance that we've seen from the Springboks. What happened that day? I think it's a typical... Competition where you know every loss means something. You can't lose and expect at that stage nobody that's lost pool, a pool game has won the World Cup. Rossi and his boys uh, turned that and that's that's on on its head. But yeah, you know the pressure was there, and you know the Island boys when they when they get up and they get a sniff of of blood, then they really come at you. On the day, my boot was also left in the change room. I don't think I could have hit water if I fell out of a boat. So that didn't help. Couldn't couldn't uh, keep the pressure on them, and they just kept coming at us. And at one stage, there was a kick forward, and it, that, that stayed in. I think we would have lost that game. And that's the margins in international rugby, and that's why mindset comes into it. Because all it was is, I think they were a bit better prepared mentally than we were in terms of what to expect. We were expecting them to go away if we started putting pressure on them, and they just never went away. Andre, at that World Cup, the moment that Australia and New Zealand were eliminated in the quarterfinals, I think that there was a sense, certainly from the fans, that the World Cup was now ours to lose. Did you guys have that same feeling in the camp? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. We, we when that, After the second loss, big team out, you know, the boys went, Right, this is the one. And if you go and look at it, the game against Fiji was also a close one. 
because, you know, now we had a lot more to lose because there was something really great at the end of this of this tournament. So we we definitely had that, and we had a refocus session, actually. We sat down and said, listen, with them out doesn't mean we just get it. It just means that we we've got um, other teams that we need to we need to beat. So, how disappointed were you not to get game time in the Rugby World Cup final that year? I think if we'd lost, it it would have been worse. But because we won, it, it didn't really matter, you know. And that's the thing about that squad. It's there's a lot of guys that didn't get a lot of game time, but everybody was bought into what Hennis Hedega called the main thing, and the main thing stayed the main thing. Now, even though you didn't play in the final, tell me, what does it feel like when the referee blows the final whistle and you are a rugby world champion? At the time, I didn't know what it meant, to be quite honest. It, it felt like it felt like you've, you've, you've won a competition. and But afterwards, when we came back into South Africa, we did the bus tours and spoke to people and... Um, you know, I'd be sitting with my with my mates, and they'd go, "You know, you're a world champion now." And then it started to sink in, and and how wonderful it is that you could achieve something so big with so many great people. I was actually on the bus parade in Cape Town that year, and yes, as you say, it really was phenomenal, a wonderful experience. Um, Andre, I asked you earlier for your opinion on Rudolf Strauli as a coach. Now I'd like to hear from you what your thoughts are on Jake White as a coach. I think he's definitely one of the best that I've worked with in in so many different facets. He's he can be a player's coach. Technically, he's really sound. He's not afraid to get people around him that knows more than he does. He definitely knows how to make up get a squad together. If you look at where he's been in terms of teams that were battling Brumby Sharks, etc., you know you'll get them at least to a semi-final where they were maybe in the previous year they didn't even make a playoff. So he's a, he's a phenomenal coach and, uh, and, he, and he keeps showing it. There's something else I'd like to talk to you about, Andre. By the time that you appeared on the scene, almost every kicker, in certainly in international rugby, was using the kicking tee, but you were still using the sand. Talk to me about that. It's just a personal preference. It, uh, I stopped using sand because it became too much of an effort to train. When when you get your captain's runs and you speak to the groundskeeper and you say, listen, we need two buckets of sand to kick, you know, that, that first reaction is always priceless. You know, are you serious? You, you want sand? And then they either have dry sand or the wrong sand or not enough sand. So that's why I stopped kicking. But if I if I had to say my personal preferences would still be, would still be sand, it's it gives me a feeling of kicking through the ball. Um, if you if you get it wrong, those years, those the big plastic tees. Once you hit it, it feels like you've kicked one of these hockey balls. So it's a, it was a personal preference, and it just felt like it gave you freedom with your with your foot. So who was your toughest opponent? It's it's normally the sensors because they kind of the sensors and the flankers because they kind of look for the tens to run over them. But I think a, a guy like Mar only was was it was a tough really a tough guy to play against um sterling mortlock matt Kito, those were those were really really good international players that that could change a game in an instant with with some brilliance and x factor but i think my only because he had the ability to 
beat you with pace, he'd run over you, or he could beat you with great feet. He's a really, really good player. Andre, and I, of course, of course. Uh, Andre, I ask this of all of my guests. Can you share with us a funny or a memorable moment from your time with the Springboks? Well, it, it probably would include Jacques Fury as the two of us who were always roommates and, and getting up to, up to stuff together. But uh, this particular one was myself and Skolk Berger in Dan Eden when we played table tennis. And uh, on the evening, Skala was quite a baller, but uh, I had his number on the table tennis. And every time he had a whitewash, he had to run outside in his underwear and then come back. Um, so people were getting were getting quite familiar with uh, Scala in his underwear on that one particular evening, and it was in winter, so uh, it uh, it was dreadful for Scala. But I think it was more so because he had lost he had lost the table tennis to me. <laughs> That's a great story, Andre. Uh, tell me, um, I, I mean, I know the answer to this, but uh, our viewers may not necessarily know. What are you up to these days? I've I've just finished uh, last year, October. I finished uh, uh, about a six-year stint with uh, NW University in Pochestrum and the Leopards Rugby Union. And I moved my family over to Japan. We're with, with living in Hino, Takara Fudo at, at this moment, and I'm coaching doing the defense of the Hino Red Dolphins. So do you speak any Japanese? It's it's just enough to get uh, my order completely wrong and sometimes get the taxi to drop me off about five blocks from my house. But other than that, it's it's not too bad. They try and make it an effort to understand the, the broken Japanese. <laughs> That's great. All right, Andre, uh, let's take a look at our trivia question again then from earlier. In 2016, Alistair Kutsia became Springbok coach. Who did he appoint as his first captain? Andre, do you know the answer? I'll, I'll take a guess. I'm not sure if it was Alistair, but uh, I know Adrian Strauss was a, was a captain at one stage. That is exactly right. Congratulations. Andre, I want to tell you something. I think I've been running the trivia question for about 26 episodes now, and you are probably only the fifth guy to get the answer right. So congratulations. <laughs> And on that note, let me say thank you very, very much for being available today, Andre. It really was a pleasure. And I hope that in the future we can have you on again. But it's awesome. I really like your content and uh, look forward to seeing the rest of the Springbok boys have a chat to you. Last time on Front Row Rugby, I had Springbok prop Keith Andrews on the show. You can go and have a look at that. It's appearing on your screen right now. Next time, 1995 Rugby World Cup champion Joel Stransky will be my guest. This Front Row Rugby episode appeared originally on YouTube. If you enjoyed this content, please consider subscribing and sharing with your friends. See you next time.